Hey everyone, this is James Mackey and welcome to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. Join us as we cover high-level thought leadership and step-by-step guides on how to make people a competitive advantage for your organization. I'm incredibly proud to be the CEO of Secure Vision, the sponsor of this show and the number one contract recruiting, embedded recruiting, and RPO firm. A thank you to our partners, Greenhouse, the hiring operating system for people-first companies, and GEM, the all-in-one hiring solution recruiters love. Let's go! Hello, welcome to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. I'm your host, James Mackey. Very excited to be here with you today and our guest, Eric Guideson. Eric, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, James. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. Yes, I, uh, I really am pumped uh, t- uh, for the topics that we're going to be sharing with everyone. Uh, really, really good conversation and a lot of good takeaways for talent strategy. So before our audience jumps into the topics uh, we've discussed, I would love if you could provide a uh, quick background on, on who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's always fun getting a chat with you, James. So this should be a good one. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, based in San Diego, California. Uh, we run a company that purchases homes and either flips those houses or renovates them, um, does development, a uh, bunch of stuff on the real estate side, syndications. And uh, we've come a long way, man. It's It's been a lot of fun. We uh, we currently now have over 100 team members. So we're starting to get up there in size. And uh, I have the privilege of being able to sit in a role that oversees and works with the recruiting department heavily. And so I think uh, out of the 100 people or so that work here, I've, I've probably been through that hiring decision on at least 95% of them. So hopefully today we can kind of talk about kind of what I've gone through and, and what we've learned along the way and uh, hopefully bring some value to your audience. I'm really excited to go through that. Yeah, for sure. And what I'm most excited about today is that you're bringing that chief operating officer perspective to mm-hmm. the table. And I think it's it's really important to bring different perspectives. Like we'll have CEOs, COOs, chief people officers, heads of town acquisition. And what's really fun about today's episode too, is it's we are going to be talking about how to build a really effective structured interview process to consistently hire a players. But we're also diving into several different people ops talk, topics, right? Which, you know, on this show, what I think is like really cool is like, it's everything is, there's like a two-way causal relationship, right? Like what we do in talent acquisition is going to impact our people operations. What we do in people operations is going to directly impact the quality of our talent acquisition. And uh, they're just so tied to the hip and both so important that uh, on today's episode, we're actually going to be diving into both. So let's go ahead and jump into it. I'm looking forward to it. Let's do it. I I think just to kick us off, we, we we wanted to talk a little bit about how your company goes about making decisions possibly a little bit differently and leveraging behavioral assessments. Uh, I think that that could be a really good place to to start. So I'd love to just hear from you how your team is currently leveraging behavioral assessments and how you might be doing things that are a bit differently from your competitors out there on the market. Yeah, that's a, that's a great starting point. I think it's what gives us the secret sauce in our business. And uh, we, we, we've we come a long way, right? So when we started off in the business, we were hiring anyone that would join the organization, uh, more or less, right? We knew somebody, they're looking for a role in sales, they're looking for a role in administration, we're like, hey, let's give them a shot. I've heard good things, right? And that's where the hiring process started for us, was just bringing people in and seeing if they worked. And you know how well that goes. <laughs> right. um, some of it kind of works out, a lot of it doesn't. And you start to learn from those decisions and you look back afterwards and you evaluate, well, where did we go wrong here? And that led us on this journey of trying to figure out what makes a successful hire. We knew interviewing questions were important. Um, we knew that resumes were important, but we realized there was a missing piece. Like what was that thing 
that would make someone successful and someone not. Because we'd have some people come in with great resumes. We'd interview them. They sounded great. We liked them. They liked us. And then all of a sudden, performance would fall off almost immediately. Uh, or sometimes it'd fall off six months into it. And so those are the questions that started this journey for us of trying to understand how do we hire the right people that are going to be successful, you know, hopefully out of the gates and also long-term stay with us. Hmm. In that process, we started tinkering with different behavioral assessments. I know the first one that I had been tinkering with was the Myers-Briggs type indicator. I'd taken it before. I thought it was interesting and fascinating that, you know, I could answer a handful of questions. And from that, it would give some type of, of semblance of who I was as a person, um, either personally or in a professional world. And I found it to be fascinating and went down this rabbit hole, started doing a bunch of big data analysis on like, okay, in sales organizations, what profile types within the MBTI seem to be successful? And that's where it kind of started. Um, along the way, we started getting uh, introduced to different behavioral assessments. And if you fast forward to where we're at now, uh, we go through... Uh, six different assessments um, in placing roles, depending on what that role is. Mm. And they're not the entire decision-making um, portion of our hiring process. It's a, it's a small portion, right? We're, we're looking at this as a, almost a check and balance to what we're hearing in interviews, what we're seeing on resumes, and what we're getting from references. And this has allowed our success rate on hires to go above 90%. Our attrition is very low. We're sub sub 10% on attrition annually. Um, I think last year we're close to 5%, so very, very low. And uh, I think the people that are working with us are very happy and we believe that they're in the right seats. The, um, the assessments itself, what for us is we've been able to figure out to a degree is, you know, everyone has these talents. There's amazing different talents. Every person that you interview could be very successful somewhere. It's a matter of, does the job role that you have fit what they can be very successful in? Because that's what they want to do with their time. That's what that's what their their motivations and their drives are telling them they should be doing. And if you find that job alignment that fit, put people in those roles are going to excel. And that's what we've kind of figured out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think um, right. I mean, everybody has different strengths and being able to match those up and and understand nuance, right? I mean, I think some traits and uh strengths are things that you're looking for uh, company wide. Right, you're you're looking for a certain certain trains for for all employees based on the environment, and then you, it's like segmenting within that, right? You're thinking about on a departmental level, like you know, which what type of folks are going to thrive? Is it more so like the, you know, maybe emotional intelligence <laughs> communication is going to be more mm -hmm. important in some cases, and in other cases, you really need somebody who's a lot more analytical and process driven, right? Um, so it's 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 interesting. I mean, one of the things that I, I've been thinking about lately is. Also, just like segmenting, not only based on like personality and fit from the perspective of um, what we're discussing on behavioral interviews, but it's it's having a, a balance of folks that have done like 100% of the role that come in to provide like high level expertise. And then, you know, having some folks that have done 75% of the role that are really ambitious and uh, bringing, bringing that new creative uh, element to, to growing into their role. So, you know, this is actually something I've been giving a lot of thought to lately. And, uh, I, you know, I guess my, my one follow-up question is on uh, getting back to the behavioral assessments is where do you place that in your interview process? Is this like, do you do it top of funnel? Do you do it after like hiring manager screen? Because it's, it's a balancing act, right? Because you want to make sure the candidates are, are sold on the opportunity. What do you, what's the best time to, to have these things done? Yeah, for us, uh, we space them out a little bit. 
so they don't happen all at once. It's like, here, here's six of them all at once. Um, uh, we do have a, a handful that we will administer after an initial call, either with our recruiter or a hiring manager. Now, initial calls and to get through some of the uh, specifics, we've looked at resumes, we looked at availability, we've looked at commute times, uh, what people are looking for. We have to find some matches there. At that point in time, we'll administer the first round of them, go through initial interviews, oftentimes second interviews, and we'll even have some assessments on the back end that we're confirming what we're seeing in the rest of the interview process. Uh, so we 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 space them out, but they're definitely coming after an initial call and assessment. Well, so that's and that's interesting. I usually, for a lot of my uh, customers, companies I work with, I will advise against after first round uh, mm-hmm. screening call because I'll see you know we'll see a significant fall off. So mm-hmm. uh, from candidates not completing it, so. I'm curious to to learn more about like your experience and kind of optimizing that. If you've seen a fall off or if you haven't, what have possibly, have you done something specifically to where you are maintaining engagement with the candidates so they feel comfortable? Um, I, you know, I've seen some companies, the worst is like when they do it before uh, uh, like even a screening call, right? <laughs> so, right. Right. This application, <laughs> like, so again, every, every environment's different. And so what I, what I just said is a generalization. Uh, what I would love to learn is is how and why do you think it works for your your uh, company, and then maybe is there some kind of tip you have to help keep candidates engaged during these type of assessments? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, for us, we understand that candidates' time is very important, and so having that initial phone call, even if it's 10, 15 minutes, yeah. going through some of the basics of the role, getting them excited and sold on going through the process is that first step. And we don't want to have someone, we don't want to waste someone's time and have them start this huge interview process out of the gate. It's not going to work, right? So we'll, we'll make that initial call. Um, but that initial call also works as a time for us to, you know, ex- uh, set expectations. This is what the interviewing process is going to look like. This is what you can expect. Here's how it's going to review. This is why it's beneficial. And also that time to, you know, sell them on the company. And so by setting expectations and selling them on the company, it's worth it to go through this process. That's how we have a good conversion rate on ones that we administer and ones that we get back that are completed. Uh, and for us, we think of it as this is just part of our process. If someone's not interested enough to follow through the process, they might not be interested enough in joining our company. So we just see it as a reason that, hey, they're probably better off somewhere else. And that's totally fine. Uh, we just go back to building out the top line of our funnel. Right. And I think just how it's like how well organized your screening is, how many assets and content you might have available uh, for them to look on at the website. And whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, how accessible recruiters and hiring managers are to answer questions, um, and and how communicative uh, recruiters and hiring managers are too. Just checking in, hey, how are things going? Do you have a chance to look at this? Let me know if you have any questions. We're really pumped to to bring you on to the next stage. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think all of that kind of like cultural nuance uh, to putting people first and showing that you're really bought into their experience makes a big difference, mm-hmm. and probably Absolutely. is more more important in terms of measuring the likelihood of. Uh, conversion from an assessment than exactly where it's placed uh, in the process. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Yeah. And so just kind of uh, like transitioning into when you, you're hiring, right? So now you've, you've built a structured hiring process. You've identified specifically what works for your organization. What do you, are, what are your thoughts on keeping top performers engaged and retained? Are there yeah. any kind of lessons learned there that you could share with us? <laughs> yeah. So you can go through this entire process of finding and sourcing candidates, interviewing them, hiring them, onboarding them, getting them ramped up, 
um, getting them performing and then getting them to this high level of performance. And I think it's easy to then forget about them, right? And you don't want to do that. It's probably, it's, it's, it's one of the worst things you can do for your organization. Um, and so we like to call it kind of more evergreen mechanics. What are some of the things that we can be doing that are going to keep people around, not just for the next couple of years, but long-term? How do we get someone to grow with this organization for life, really? I mean, it could be 15, 20, 25, 30 years with our organization. How can we do that? And so I think it comes down to a design element of making sure that we are designing programs within our organization that people want to sign up for, they want to commit their lives to. And if it's not very, very attractive, at some point, they're going to leave, right? And they're going to go somewhere else. And there's going to be you know, the grass is greener somewhere else for a day, and they could just be gone. And all that time, energy, effort, relationship could go out the window. Um, so for our organization, we do something very unique. This is just one example. But uh, we're in we're in the home buying space. We're the largest home buyer in Southern California. Uh, we'll purchase close to 500 homes this year, and that's our business model. And what we've realized is that's also the same thing most people that work for us want. They want to acquire real estate and they want to hold a portfolio and grow their assets. And so we created the Home Buyer Program, which allows performing team members to purchase homes at discounts from the company, utilizing company resources on acquisitions, construction. Uh, design, you name it, they can utilize these resources and build into their own portfolios. It's almost like our own stock option. And this program is so powerful because someone could come into our organization, do extremely well in their role. Let's say that they're in sales, they come in here, do really, really well, make really good money. And then what, right? And, and that then what for us is, okay, if you're interested, here's this program where you can basically build directly into a lot of equity, likely building into a lot of cash flow, even in our market here in Southern California, and start doing this year after year after year after year. Keep adding these assets to your portfolio. And so we spend an exorbitant amount of our resources making that happen for our organization. And it's one of the things that I'm most proud of. I think we had 15 people or 16 people in the last 12 months from our organization that have purchased homes through the company that we've been able to help out. And it's it's game changing. It's, it's life changing for for most of the, the team members. And that is just one of the things that we do to design this evergreen mechanics of allowing people to want to be here long-term. Yeah. And, you know, I was actually, uh, earlier today, I had a, a podcast with uh, Shauna, who is the senior VP of, of people for TalkDesk, uh, mm-hmm. a pretty big, you know, category leading tech company. And one of the things that she was talking about, we were talking about the parallel between ideal customer profile and ideal candidate profile. And she talked about how just like, you know, for the ideal client client profile, you're not going to have 20 of them. You're not going to have 20 different types of, of, you know, segmentations, market segmentations of different customers you're reaching out to. You're probably going to pick at most a handful, uh, mm-hmm. maybe even just one, right? right. And, and you're going to dial in on serving that community and creating a great experience. And what she talked about was actually was not a concept I, I had really thought about before. I thought about an ideal candidate profile, but I haven't thought about having like a unified single ideal candidate profile. She said, of course, there's different skill sets and traits that might fall within different departments, but there needs to be one overarching candidate profile. And you have to really understand that ideal candidate profile really, really well. So you can find a way to create like a value proposition for them. Not only are they going to be more effective as a company when hiring, but you're going to be able to create an opportunity that makes a lot of sense for the uh, employer and the employee. And so mm-hmm. I think like this is actually the, like the key takeaway for folks, right? Tuning in is you have to be so dialed into that ideal candidate profile that you can create engagement and retention programs that really appeal to that specific type of profile that you're bringing on to your team. So I think that that's, yep. you know, 
I, I really like that. I mean, that makes sense as to why it's working and why you have a really low attrition rate, in my opinion. That's probably a big driver of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, let's um, just like building a company from the ground up, chief operator of, of the organization. I, I love to, I just love kind of like riffing on lessons learned, right? Yeah. Like, like <laughs> building. Enough. Yeah. Right. I mean, like building teams, light bulb moments, like what are some of the, like the, the biggest lessons or yeah. Biggest things you've learned over the past few years while you're growing this company at a rapid pace. Wow. There's, there's <laughs> a lot to, to dive into here. I think early on is we're just trying to figure out our identity. Right. And you're trying to do that in a time where the organization is kind of a wild west. And so early on, we realized that we needed to be surrounded around people that were really high in innovation. And we still are like that today, right? If we don't have high levels of innovation within the organization as just a characteristic, like people need to want that. There's a lot of people out there that are fantastic team members that don't love innovation. They are much more process oriented. I don't want to make any changes to anything. Let's not disrupt things. Let's the status quo is working for us. Let's stay put. And so early on, what happens is we had actually really great people that were hired, but their innovation and their 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 ability to their risk tolerance, if you will, towards changing things were just lower. And so that was a light bulb moment for us. It's like these people are fantastic. Unfortunately, where we're at right now, we're a small company. Our processes are not very dialed in yet. I can't give them the structure that they're looking for at this stage of the company. And so it was a light bulb moment in the beginning that. When we are in kind of a Wild West moment, for those that are listening or maybe in a startup environment, I would I would assess for that. I would find people that are a little bit more risk tolerant. And I'm sure naturally, intuitively, we understand this. Mm-hmm. However, it's really easy to say, oh, we need someone that's in administration. They're going to be really regimented and what have you. And you hire them and you're five people. That actually probably isn't your best decision because that person's going to have to deal with so much change. It's going to be really stressful for them. And so this is just one example. One of the things that, that we figured out pretty early was we need to be around people that are going to be a little bit more innovative at the beginning. Yeah. Um, as that scales, you'll start to realize that you have deficiencies in different departments, right? You're looking at top line funnel, you have your talent acquisition and recruiting, right? Then for us, we look at where's our marketing going? Where's our, our sales going? There's different departments in sales for us. Mm. Um, from there, we're looking at uh, you know, contract to close that client relationship with our home sellers. Uh, and then from there it's, it's project management, design, construction, right? So there's all these different departments that'll stack up in this funnel of our business. Right. And so look at the value chain within your organization of how it flows from the department department. The next thing that we realize is when you start to grow, you're going to get impacted in at least one of those areas as you're growing. Oftentimes there might be three of them at the same time. And, the more that you can start to plan for that impact and, and and higher in advance of that impact, the more successful that you're going to be. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck in these moments or these plateaus where the systems are working, the people are good, the um, you know your 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 customer acquisition costs are there, but then you're not growing and you're just and everyone's in this kind of frenzy. And the reason that's happening is because one or more of your departments are getting impacted because we're not hiring in advance. People are beyond that 85, 90% capacity that they should be at um, on a day-to-day basis. I mean, if you get people past that percentage and you're adding more and more and more, you get stuck and you start to plateau. So that was the second aha moment for us was, okay, 
we know that there's different characteristics throughout this process. Let's hire for those characteristics. Next thing is when we're growing, how can we start to forecast what, which, which departments can be impacted? Mm. And so we, we are pretty clear about that uh, now in our organization, which allows us to get through you know, the next six to 12 months of, of forecasting who we need to hire and, and what seats and what that position looks like. So I suppose a lot of that conversation comes down to the overall company's objectives, right? Like Absolutely. The strategic yep. objectives of the organization, uh, your your North Star metrics that you're trying to build toward, and then mm-hmm. thinking about how, you know, the culture traits uh, uh, need to evolve, right? Um, within, I suppose, specific ev- uh, departments as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, you know, the vision is what's going to initiate and spark. It's going to be that catalyst uh, catalyst for where do we go, right? And then it's right. that uh, strategic um, breakdown of, of how we're going to do it, who's going to do it, um, when we're going to do it, and what's going to be our secret sauce along the way that's going to allow us to have those levels of success that we're looking for. Yeah. Um, and then from there, it's it's a matter of implementing what those requirements would be. And that's, and I think that's, it's difficult to do as you're growing an organization. There's so many different priorities. And it's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> you get a, a brand new hire in, in an apartment that's been impacted. And you're like, yes, they're going to solve this. But then you don't take a second to step back and be like, wait, they actually are going to still have too much on their plate. We need to be hiring more than this. Right. And then they, once they hire this position in, you know, let's say we, we hired a, a recruiter on our team. You know, once that happens, well, what's going to happen next is then we're going to have all these people joining the organization who's going to be onboarding these people, right? Where's our where's our leadership going to look like? And then it's, okay, mm-hmm. lead generation and marketing, we got to ramp this up too. Do we have enough people to then do that, right? And so it's this it's this domino effect that if you can get in front of it, you can keep those dominoes upright and it'll it'll go over much smoother. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, one of the things I've talked to a lot of chief op- uh, operators about too, it's just getting back to anticipating future needs. And they've said one of the challenges too, is that the culture is going to evolve. Uh, Your Mm -hmm. needs are going to evolve. And sometimes the culture is going to evolve unintentionally. You know, you you hire a bunch of people and you realize like, oh, this is, it's a little different. It's different vibe, uh, different culture uh, than maybe what we had when we were half the size. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's, it's also, that's another reason to be very intentional about what you're building is that if you're not, and for instance, you're just going purely off skill set, right? Then, you know, or experience, right? Relevancy of environments that people come from, you might end up developing a culture that doesn't actually make sense for your business or that isn't yeah. ideal. Yeah. And I think it's a mistake. We we were a victim of this mistake and we we learned relatively quickly, but culture will change as you scale and hire. And what happens is you won't be able to make every decision yourself as a business leader or a hiring manager, there's going to be times at a certain amount of scale where you might not be in in every interview process. I try to be, you know, yeah, but it's just not possible with schedules and how large organizations can get. And eventually you will probably make a bad hire. Um, and it's not that they're bad people or it's, they're not skilled. It's just the alignment isn't there. And far too often, I think a big mistake and it's something that happened to us is when you have someone that's Scary thing is when you have a good performer, like they're really good at their role, but then they're not a culture fit. And then you allow them to exist within the organization. What will end up happening is, yeah, their production might be decent on paper, but unfortunately, they're probably bringing down production of another handful of people that they associate with every day. It's actually costing your business a ton of money. Yeah. 
And so sometimes you hire the wrong person, it's not the right culture fit, not the right alignment. They could be amazing in a different culture, but you have to cut it off. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to, you know, it's going to bleed over and start to affect other other people in the, the organization. Right. I mean, like in, in some cases, like that's definitely a case where it's, you know, they could be a really good person, um, but they're just not the right fit culturally. Other times, you know, it's like sometimes you're going to hire somebody who interviewed really well and they're just incredibly negative and a drain on the team. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes previous employers are not, they don't feel comfortable in providing references. Right. Mm-hmm. And somebody can just say, uh, oh, it's against company policy. My prior employer, I can't get a reference. Right. right. It's easy enough to say that. And then, you know, you end up hiring somebody that's like, just like messaging colleagues all day, just complaining or, you yep. know, just, just being kind of a negative drain. And the other, the other thing that's really challenging about that type of situation is other top performers are not going to want to deal with that shit. No, and they're, not. they're, you know, they, they, they don't want to see that type of the, that type of problem be rewarded within an organization. And so like, again, there's, there's, even if the performance is decent, so to speak, um, it has been my experience that I guess maybe in in sales, I've seen it a couple of times where somebody's like really, really good, but uh, toxic. Mm -hmm. But I think most cases, like most toxic people just typically are not necessarily the best. They might be like hitting a goal or something, but they're not really value creators. Cause like part of a growth stage company is being able to collaborate and work with others. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it does find itself in the sales departments more frequently than others. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really important point. And I and this might be common knowledge, but when you're interviewing, right, everyone's going to show up in their best self. Like they're going to bring their best presentation of who they are. And it's really easy to get misled during an interview. If you don't have additional dots behind it, really mapping who this person is at their core. It's another reason why we love these behavioral assessments is you go into an interview, there's so much subjectivity out there with an interview. How do I feel about this candidate? It's like one of the worst ways to make a decision if you don't have any additional data points. Mm -hmm. Because remember, every single candidate, for the most part, is going to give you their very best performance for that 30 minutes, that hour, that two-hour period. And it's it's hard to make those assessments. That's why you hire someone in, you think they're great, Performance could even be good, but then the culture is just not a fit. So yeah. it'll happen. Well, you know, I think that one of the issues is that a lot of executives, right, we, I don't know, maybe we've all done this once or twice, but uh, sometimes we confuse experience and knowledge uh, data, essentially, with intuition. Right. And or even worse, sometimes we feel like our intuitions are more likely to 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 be right. I think you know, experience backed with data is uh, an effective way to, to make a decision. And sometimes you don't have the most report, uh, robust reports and access to data, particularly in a, a smaller organization that's growing quickly. And you have to leverage uh, your historical knowledge on what's worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you have to go with intuition. I'm not saying intuition is a bad thing, but, you know, there's been a lot of studies out there that, <laughs> you know, people's intuition, when, it, when, when they're focusing on that as a primary way to make decisions, it's not quite as accurate as they think it is, I, I think there's probably like that, um, you know, hindsight fallacy theory, right? Where we we um, uh, uh, we kind of like focus on like one thing, but kind of ignore other situations or don't remember situations uh, mm-hmm. where we get it wrong. There's also there's another name for it. It's like some kind of like bias or something where you just notice one type of outcome or you feel like every time 
like yeah, I, I hit I hit I always hit red lights like or something like that because it's a reticulator reticular yeah. activating system right? You, right you start thinking about a specific car that you're going to buy you see on the road everywhere and then there's yeah, this form of that yeah. that the, the RAS coupled with recency bias right recency so whatever bias probably yeah, yeah yeah what whatever was most recent is is that becomes the narrative right and we're so quick to do that and really I mean we're we're ingrained like that I believe as a species it's part of our survival is you know if if you go down this dark cave and uh it doesn't turn out well for somebody you know recently biases don't go down dark caves right it's just it's i think it's kind of hardwired so it's it's tough when you start to separate uh and and kind of move fast forward into today's world um i think we're blinded by things like recency bias and and things that are top of mind um to go back to your point on intuition intuition is is and it's, in my opinion, one of the most important things that uh, a hiring manager, uh, a team member, a leader can have within their business. You know, uh, we talked a lot about data and assessments earlier, but it's really it's that combination of these two things. You have to you have to have both. I think that's going to uh, allow for the best decision making. You do have to trust your gut too. I think the the point that we are trying to convey is is don't if you can figure out a way to make it so it's not just your gut, or at least it's mm-hmm. multiple people's gut. You're gonna have a better outcome in the future, but that intuition is still so 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 important. If you don't feel right about something, something's just not sitting right. There's usually a reason for it. You just might not be able to describe it to yourself. And yeah, so I, would, I, would, I would go with it. I think it. I think it just depends too on the competency of the individual. Like if you're a very seasoned executive that has been exposed to a lot of inductive reasoning and, and data, and you've seen things play out over and over again, so you can identify trends. I think that that's different versus, you know, sometimes people have life experiences that work out or don't work out. And as a result, they can create biases and something could not feel right because they went down a, a, this one path and something bad happened, but it's not actually a causal relationship between going down that path and what happened. And so you mm-hmm. create like a false kind of, you know, reaction or a false association. And so it's, I, I think it's, it's like two, if you're going to go with intuition, it's recognizing like really being careful and trying to recognize unconscious biases and really thinking about like, well, why am I making this decision and why do I believe this? And I think, you know, one of the things uh, or the uh, philosophies or uh, things that I try to remember most in life when I'm making decisions is, you know, uh, in order to true, uh, to prove myself right, I, I, I should, let me try to prove myself wrong. Right? right. Like, it's like going through that model of like, okay, do I believe this or do I know this? Mm-hmm. Is this the truth or is this a belief? The truth requires evidence, right? And and okay. trying to go through that motion. And to me, that is intuition. That's like, that's wisdom, right? I love right. the word like wisdom, right? It's like seeking the truth, seeking knowledge. Um, and I think, you know, we kind of, this is kind of zooming out a lot, but I think we also live kind of like in a society that we've actually kind of like forgotten what truth is. Like, I think people, you know, they're like we, everybody has their own truth. It's like, well, no, like the truth is is based on, you know, the correspondence theory of truth is based on how the reality of the world actually is. And if what's said actually aligns with that, which is basically, you know, having a, a, a true like, um, you know, using inductive reasoning, doing testing, having data, having evidence versus a belief, which is not um, necessarily based based on evidence. And I think it's, yeah, it's like intuition is important. And then just backing up that intuition, like, okay, is there a way that I can find evidence for this? Or if I can't put my finger on it, let me slow down and like figure out. Um, you know, how it is. But I will say that like the issue that I've seen sometimes is that some people, they get to like a certain level of success and they're like, it's like almost blind faith. 
toward like <laughs> yeah. a like a you know what I mean? Like they just right. get to a certain level where it's like this is going to work out. And maybe like an example of this, I don't know. Maybe he'll figure it out. But like Elon Musk decision when it comes to like Twitter layoffs or like something like that, right. where it's just like blind faith. I know what to do. Um, and who knows? I mean, who knows? Maybe like the media is wrong and he did all the right things. I don't know. It wouldn't be the first time the media screws up. So I don't know, but it's just interesting to me. It's an interesting thing to think through. Right. Yeah. I I think in that scenario, when you have indicators of success that are happening over and over and over and also failures that you've been able to learn from, I think the confidence level increases. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that at a certain point, there's just going to be inherent risk in anywhere that you drive the ship that's going to innovate. And, and so it is fascinating. I think that, that, uh, you almost need to have a little bit of blind faith in certain things, which is the scary part. That's the risk-taking part of it, right? If we knew for certain that we're going to be successful, well, there's probably a bunch of other people that would already have done it. Right. And the innovation probably isn't there. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's kind of an obnoxious, like problem of being a human, right? Because you want to be rational. You want to to hopefully move toward like some level of wisdom throughout life but then it's like, think about starting a business. Like, you know, there's like what to really have a successful, I know they say it's around 90% or 10% of businesses make it, but come on, actual yeah. successful scale businesses that are creating value at scale. It's gotta be less than 1%. Oh yeah. Uh, way less, way yeah. less. Yeah. So you have to have like that again, like that blind faith. And because if you look at like the odds per se, uh, it's really, it's really not that great. Um, and I think that that's like the, the one, like the true benefit of intuition, I suppose, as long as you're aware of like, you know, potentially false associations and false, what you think are causal relationships that actually aren't is the benefit. The flip side of it is it allows you to make decisions quickly. It does. It does. And, I mean, it's been proven. There's been a lot of studies that talk about, you know, the speed at which you make decisions uh, is going to allow you to learn a lot faster and you can correct course and test but mm-hmm. opposed to going very slowly and basically stagnating and you're not going to learn. So No, it, it's it's so true. The amount of decisions that you can make even if they're sometimes wrong like a, one of the biggest problems I think is actually indecision, right? It's it's let's say you have a, let's put it in recruiting context. You have a bunch of talent acquisition in this pipeline that's growing and then you're trying to hire for a specific role and it's relatively specialized and you have four candidates, you're not quite sure which one to go with. The challenge is when you get in those modes, it's really easy to move into indecision because you just don't know. And that indecision slows down all the next hires. It slows down people's confidence in joining the organization. It it creates a lot of risk. And it's this weird balance of getting as much as we possibly can information-wise from this recruiting process. But then also you have to make a decision at some point. And as a leader, what becomes very tough is making enough of these decisions fast enough that have a good hit rate. And that's, I mean, that's that's why... Um, I think leadership roles and executive level roles are so difficult because you have so many of them, they matter and they're not always right. You know, that's part of the game. Part of the game is make decisions quickly, correct them quickly. Yes. Right. I think the other factor in decision-making too, it's like, well, what is, what happens if we, if like how, how high leverage is this decision too? I mean, so there's nuance to that, but. Okay, sure. is this going to tank the company if I get it wrong, right? Right. <laughs> going to invest in this huge new initiative, or am I going to be a services company and put all my money in yeah. product? I, I right. don't know how to build. Like that's obviously, if you're indecisive about something like that, just don't do it, right? It's, like, yeah, it's it's the ex- you have to move fast. It's the expected val- expected value of a decision, right? If, if yeah. you're hiring a, a 
a new leader within an organization, you, you, you do need to take that time. And I think a good leader understands that too. Yeah. Right. But if you're hiring for um, other types of roles, maybe it's an entry level type position, if you can build a framework that allows you to make decisions faster, and so I'm not talking like day one, first interview, there's still a process, you know, for us, it'd still be, you know, there's six steps to that process. However, mm-hmm. once we've gone through it, that decision should be relatively clear cut and just move with it. And if you're wrong, you can adjust course. Um, so it's expected value. It's, it's, it's exactly right. How valuable is the decision if we get it right? And what's the downside if we get it wrong? And what's the probability of outcomes along that spectrum? That's what it comes yeah. down to. I think it all comes down to like, again, situational, very situational when it comes to decision-making. I would love, I'm actually going to look up if there's any kind of paper psychology philosophy around like the correlation between intuition and wisdom. Because like mm-hmm. wisdom, I, I find that it's like more of kind of like this experience factor, which intuition right. is obviously correlated with that. But it'd be kind of interesting to dive deeper into that. Um, maybe that's just me kind of nerding out uh, <laughs> in personal interest, but I think it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, let me know if you find anything. Excited to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, well, hey, look, I think just as a uh, final topic for today, I, I was really impressed to hear the amount of your employee base that is brought in through referrals. Mm-hmm. So from the perspective of a high growth company, currently a little bit over 100 employees, I'd love to learn from you how you're building out your referral program, lessons learned, how you make it so effective. I think it's like over half of your hires are referred in. Is that something yeah. like that? Yeah. yeah we, wild, we, we, we fluctuate between 65 and 70% of our hires. Yeah. How, how did you pull that off? Yeah. Uh, good question. It wasn't the original design of what we were trying to do. That's just how it's kind of shaked out. But I think it starts with having a great culture, creating an environment where people can succeed in, because that's going to, you know, it's going to sprout an environment of winners, right? And when people are winning, other people notice. You just, you can't help it. If someone's doing really well within a field, they start developing this level of expertise. They have a certain culture and vibe around them. It's going to be contagious. That's where it starts. Mm. If your people aren't happy, if you don't have a program that's really um, advancing other people's careers and making it about them, you're not going to have that level of enthusiasm and you're not going to get to this figure. So everything else that we talk about here after is not going to matter. Yeah. Right. So it starts with that. So it's designing the organization to, to have that culture and have that, that, that runway where people can see their vision within the vision of your business. Right. So if you can get that part, that's the hard, that's a really hard part. If you can start to get that forming, it doesn't have to be perfect, but if you can start to get that forming, then you can start thinking about the next steps, right? And the next steps in that are, and this is how we arrived at it, was when we were going through a roster analysis, we're going down all the team members and we're looking at performance, we started to realize some correlations where it's like, huh, this is interesting. This person was referred by this person. This person referred by this person. And we're looking at performance and there was a correlation there with people that were referred by good people were inherently more successful um, within the metrics that we were quantifying. Now, it wasn't, foolproof 100% of the time, but there was a correlation there. We said, huh, this is interesting. A lot of our top performers have these correlations. They came from this specific group of, of team members. So then what we did was saying, well, how do we how do we increase the volume of that? How can we make this more of a norm for us in our recruiting funnel? And so what we did was, number one, we started off just adding incentives, super simple, adding incentives. Hey, we're, we're hiring for this position. Who do you know that would be an amazing fit for our culture and, and would have the skill sets potentially to grow into this role? Who do you know? Throw some incentives behind it. And because the people were already 
you know, they were diehard for the company. They were um, doing well themselves. This was a pretty easy pivot for them to, to bring in um, uh, referrals to the business. However, at scale, that becomes harder and harder to do. If you have a company with five people, yeah, pretty easy to find a couple people to fill slots. When you start getting over 100 people within an organization, you have to be a little bit more systematic about it. And this might start at your company size at even 25 or 35 or 40, right? But you know, where we're at today, what we do is, is, is we, we, we call it the force referral method. It's, it's actually taken from Mark Roberge over at HubSpot. Um, he has an amazing book on it. What's it, what's um, it, what role is he in the company? Um, he was their VP of sales. Okay. Cool. And did an amazing, I mean, I mean the, he wrote a book, Sales Acceleration Formula. I think it's, it's perhaps the best book um, for sale, uh, scaling a sales organization that, that I've read. I don't mm-hmm. think anything is, is, is quite on that level. Maybe there is. I just haven't read it then. Um, but he has a he has a book and he has a, a method. It's something that we were kind of doing, but once we saw it on paper, we're like, yes, this is actually this is it. <laughs> um, and he he turned that coin the the force referral method. And essentially, what we do is we have our recruiter that's um, in house with us, or you can partner with an organization like you guys as an example to do this. Is um, going through your top performers and asking them, hey, who do you who do you who do you know that could be interested in and Join an organization like ours that could be a top performer. Who comes to mind? Get them thinking about it. They'll bring a couple people in. And the next step is then have them open up their social profiles, their LinkedIn, their Facebooks, their Instagrams, their TikToks, whatever it be, and sit down with them and say, who is this person? What do they do? What, you know, do you think they could be a good culture fit for the organization? What about skill set performance? And going down this list, what will happen is people's social accounts, they might have a couple hundred, they might have thousands, they might have a hundred thousand, right? You know, there's somewhere in this range. But if you sit down and identify the top, you know, 15 to 30 people per performance in the organization consistently, what you'll realize is there's amazing talent out there that they're connected to. Mm-hmm. If they can bridge that gap on relationships and, you know, hey, our companies, uh, you know, you have your recruiter reach out to them. Hey, James, um, you know, this is Eric. We have a, a common um, um, uh, friend with an organization who happens to work with us named John. He said, you're really sharp. You're doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, I've heard nothing but amazing things. How are you? We're looking to grow, you know, within this, this uh, organization and you were recommended. Hmm. I, I'm, I don't know if there's, um, you know, now is the time or not, but I wanted to at least introduce myself and see how things were going. Right. And starting those conversations, what happens is you'll build this long-term funnel of people that usually are not ready today. However, something will happen. There's some, someone else gets promoted, the company downsizes, um, they are asked to move and relocate to keep their role. There's all these things that happen and these people will come back around. And so if you proactively go out and dive into the social profiles, which is just a tool for allowing people to jog memories and see how they're related to these different people, um, start having these conversations, seeing what's motivating and interesting to people, you will find pain points over time. And it's just like how we we acquire homes for sale. Like you build these relationships over time when there's enough pain for people to go on and sell properties. That's why we we come in and we're able to, to, to purchase them. It's the same kind of philosophy. And uh, we just do this consistently and, and sit down with top performers in the organization and, and other contributing team members. Um, we can't even get through all of them, right? We just, you know, there's people on our team that we'd love to sit and go through. And we don't have enough time, but we'll start these conversations. We'll... Um, and, and and what happen is you'll start getting a ton of high quality candidates that'll come to your business to, to go through the interview process. You'll be really, really happy with it. 
Well, it's incredible. It's a, it's a lot of success. So you, you all should be very proud uh, of that status, but one of the highest uh, stats. And, and I think too, it's, it's, it's not just about the percentage, it's the outcome in terms of being able to hire great people. And the fact that you've been able to get that referral network to the scale it's at and really maintain a really high quality of hire, that's really special. So kudos to you. I, I think it's really, really impressive. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a team effort for sure. There's a lot of great team members that make it happen. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, hey, look, Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was very valuable. I know our growth stage leaders tuning in are going to be able to take have some takeaways here that guide talent strategy. Um, so thank you for contributing to the community today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And we really appreciate all the things that you guys do for us. You guys have always done such an amazing job for us. So uh, really, really appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. You know, For everybody tuning in, uh, thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and gained a lot of valuable insights to help guide your talent strategy. I also want to say thank you to my team at Secure Vision for making the show possible. Secure Vision is the number one embedded recruitment provider, and we are a three-time category leader on G2. Secure Vision partners with over 150 companies to provide on-demand recruiters who specialize in either tech, revenue, or GNA. For more information, you can visit securevision.io. For more content, you can follow me on LinkedIn at James Mackey or on Twitter at James Mackey DMV. We've dropped links in the description. If you want to be on our show or have any topics you'd like for us to cover, reach out at breakthroughhiring.io. We really appreciate your support with reviews on Apple Podcasts. And lastly, make sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday for a new episode. See you next time.